All right, I believe we're now live. So as everyone joins us, we've got a little bit of uh, background music, which I'll explain why I chose this track in a, in a wee bit. Um, I'm not going to guess it. I don't think anyone's going to recognize it either. Maybe challenge me on that. As always, um, if you've got questions when we get into it, please do leave them on the uh, chat channel. We'll try to pick up as many as possible. And if you really want the questions to be looked at, put them in the Q&A section and we'll make sure that we try to ask as many of those as possible through Gina as well. But with that, I'm going to ask Zila there to, to, to kick us off. Um, Zila, I believe you're the Group Head of Investor Relations and now Communications. Is that right? That's correct. Good afternoon, okay. everyone. Um, and it is my immense pleasure to welcome all of you to this week's episode of the IOKO Inspire series. My name is Zile Nonganga and I am responsible for investor relations and group communications for the EOH group. Last week, uh, Colin spoke to our very own CEO and courageous leader, Stephen Van Collar, on his journey to transforming um, EOH. It was a very open and honest and um, transparent discussion with some great leadership nuggets from Stephen that we can all learn from. This week, we will be talking to Gina Bianchini, the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks, on using digital communications to transform business. In this session, Gina will explain and unpack for us why exactly communities are critical for businesses today and, and tell us about the best approaches that can be taken to successfully build them. Thank you all once again for taking the time to join us today and watch what promises to be a very insightful and inspiring episode in our Ayoko series. Um, as Colin said, you are welcome to post your questions and comments in the chat for our, for our speaker. Um, and Colin will now take over and lead the discussion with, with Gina. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And um, you'll not get that track. It was called 8am by uh, Murta. And I chose that one because Gina very kindly is dialing in from Palo Alto and it's not 8am. I couldn't find a track called 7am. But I just wanted to, <laughs> wanted to lead in. Very early in the morning. Very, very early. I hate to think what time that you got up, but thank you very much for joining us. No, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we've got a big group here this morning, so that's awesome. And then I would also just say right up front, we'll, we'll, like, Colin, I'm ready for your questions. I'm super excited about it. It is so much more fun if people ask questions. It, like, it's more fun for you, it's more fun for Colin, it's more fun for me. So certainly I'm looking forward to hearing how we make this as, as relevant and interesting and ensure that everybody takes at least one thing away from it that is, uh, that's actionable today. Awesome. Or now, I should say tomorrow. For me, it's like today, I got the full day in front of me. But for you guys, you're getting to the end of the day, you got other things you're starting to think about, it's fantastic. Awesome. Now we're, we're going to be chatting about communities and networks, um, your own experiences with your companies, which we'll be digging into, your views about other community platforms that play in this particular space, the benefits uh, that it can bring both in and outside of corporations. But as always, I think it's great to go and start with a bit of context for people if there are any people out there that haven't heard of you. And if you go and look on your LinkedIn profile there, I find it fascinating that you actually started after your university days as an analyst over at Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. How did you switch or pivot from a fairly stable financial analyst position? I don't think they're particularly inspiring in the banks, to be honest. I've worked at banks for most of my career. Um, mm -hmm. To becoming the serial entrepreneur um, with your yeah. kind of coat tagged onto this community play. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... Um... I was coming out of Stanford University in 1994, and I wanted to learn how to be a business person. You know, I, that was not my background. That was, my dad was a teacher. My mom had like 14 side hustles. And I viewed going to Goldman Sachs as a way to understand and learn about business, and it absolutely delivered. Uh, there were people I wanted to be like, um, and they were interesting, and they had great backgrounds. And the nearly two years that I spent there, I mean, it was my first job out of college. So it wasn't like I sat there and like, you know, went to school to become a, a banker, but I really didn't view it as a, as a tour of, and, and probably the best way to get an introduction to business that I didn't have prior to that. And 
you know, in 1994, when I started, it was, it was literally the year that the internet happened. So Netscape went public in 1995, Yahoo went public shortly thereafter. That was the group that I worked in. And so I, I got a phenomenal introduction to, to not just business, but technology business, uh, or business, the business of technology, I guess would be a better way of saying it. Um, and so, you know, even having grown up here in Silicon Valley, um, Palo Alto, I grew up in Cupertino, California, where, where Apple is headquartered, moved all the way up 20 minutes north to go to school at Stanford. And now I, I, I still live in Palo Alto. I've moved away occasionally, but, but fundamentally it was not like, I, it's so interesting to me because um, I think for a lot of folks that have had sort of stable corporate jobs for a really long time, they're like, oh my gosh, why, you know, why or how would I become an entrepreneur? And for me, it was just, that was not my experience because business was never a world that I aspired to necessarily be in. I aspired to be a leader. I aspired to have impact. I aspired to build something that mattered, uh, not necessarily to, uh, to go into business or, or be a business person. Uh, and, you know, when you just look at, at where the biggest impact has been both positive and I would argue negative over the last 20 years, it has been in the business of technology. So mm -hmm. from, you know, from my perspective, being an entrepreneur was not a big, was not a big leap. I'm, I'm very comfortable with, with uncertainty. I'm very comfortable with rapidly changing environments uh, and always have been. So, what was it led you to take the uh, jump out of Goldman Sachs? Was oh, there I was recruited. You thought? Yeah, so I was recruited by a company that I had worked on the IPO for or initial public offering for. Uh, and they recruited me to join their company to run acquisitions and equity investments, investor relations. So I did that. Then I went to business school. Uh, and then out of business school, like in my second year of business school, that same CEO from that company had moved over to a venture capital firm and called me up and was like, Gina, let's start a company. And I was like, Okay, that sounds good. So that is how I became an entrepreneur. It was, it was not. It, it was literally a, uh, a a function of circumstance, comfort with with uh, you know change and uncertainty, and that that's where I've spent my spent my career. Was that uh, when when you did that leap? Was that the start of the formation of Ning? No. So I did a startup before Ning that we incubated out of Sequoia Capital. Uh, that was all, it, it was 2000. I started in March of 2000 and it was all about how do we make marketing more efficient and effective? How could we track marketing spend? So it was way early, uh, like way, way early. But through that experience. Uh, it didn't work in the end and it, and it had to be put down. It, it didn't have to be put down. We ultimately sold it. Um, but it was still, it was, it was good technology that was just the wrong model for that period of time. Um, but we ultimately sold it. So, you know, certainly counted it as, a, I, I sort of think about it as a wash, but also a fantastic learning experience. Mm. And so I did that from 2000 to 2000 and I think four, and then went directly into, into Ning, uh, in part because what was happening in 2003, 2004 is, you know, we, we had we had the dot-com bust. So people who had moved to San Francisco and moved to the Bay Area and Silicon Valley to make millions of dollars, you know, when the crash happened, they all moved away. And the people that were left were a bunch of really interesting, you know, I would, I would argue um, uh, massively curious, ambitious people that we all kind of knew each other. So, you know, I had a friend who was, who was starting one of the early social networking companies. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then uh, he had invested in, you know, Facebook and that was just getting started. And then another friend of mine was like, hey, Gina, let's start another company. You know, let's start a company. So it was this, my first two startups were people asking me to start a company with them. Uh, and not until many networks was it like, I'm going to start a company. Uh, and so, so that was my, my experience into, you know, and, moving into what was really a new market, um, with a lot of really, you know, crazy and interesting dynamics to it for sure. Could you talk about Ning a little bit? A lot of people might not have heard it before, but that was an immense success. 
Yeah. So Ning was essentially, you know, where, where Facebook was starting, you know, a social network for your, you know, your friends basically. And actually even before Facebook, there was something called Friendster and then there was MySpace. Facebook was about college students. Uh, another friend of mine started LinkedIn uh, for sort of professional identity and me and another friend of mine were, were focused on, could you do the same thing that happened with the web? Meaning, you know, millions of different websites programmable to do different things because of HTML. Uh, and could you actually build that same kind of programmable platform for social applications? So having a bunch of primitives, as they call it, or, or functionality that you can kind of mix and match as a developer. So we launched that and that was Ning, you know, V1. Uh, and Ning V2 was kind of a recognition and realization that instead of having as our customer and our target a developer who would put these things together utilizing code to pull together, you know, photos and videos and profiles, that we could actually do it for normal people who wanted to create their own social network um, and drag and drop the ability to have photos and videos and profiles and messaging and uh, wikis and blogs and pull that all together in one place. So we launched that in February of 2007. So this was after MySpace had like, was like kicking ass uh, before Facebook uh, was open to more than college students. And we just, we just took off. Uh, and it was in part because the market was ready for that kind of creativity and quirkiness and ability to kind of have your own community, your own, your own social network. Uh, and, you know, then over the next, I guess it was three, three and a half years, we just saw Ning Networks take off. Uh, so we had Ning Networks for every conceivable interest, passion, subculture, you know, musician, uh, political group, uh, all as separate communities, separate social networks uh, versus sort of one monolithic one. Uh, and then, mm. and then we sold that in 2010, and I started Mighty Networks um, to really take the same idea into the next, you know, the, the next chapter, the next phase, which is where we're at today, and seeing pretty phenomenal growth because what happened was you know, a whole new wave of people have, you know, built followings, you know, built audiences on social media or through email lists or other kinds of brand, you know, audience building techniques. And they're all like, wait a second, I want to have my own, my own community. I want to have my own community that's away from the noise and clutter of, of social media, the distractions of it. And more importantly, I want a community where my members can meet and build relationships with each other and ideally do it on a path to master something interesting or important to them. So because of that foundation, we've gone from being a community platform and exclusively a community platform on you know, mobile and web to having online courses that are built directly into a mighty network. Uh, as well as memberships and subscriptions, all the things that you know a creator or an individual brand would want to be able to bring people together, introduce them to each other, and create a, you know what we call and think about as a journey to master something interesting or important to them together. Why can't you do that on Facebook? And if there are other platforms out there, I mean, shout them out. Most people, when they go and look at these community platforms, would tend to go and associate with the well-known ones. Is this so? Which other well-known? Yeah, I, I mean, there's Facebook groups. So which other well-known ones? I was hoping the, that you know some other well-known ones because I'm not really very good at yeah, social media. That's kind of Facebook. right, but that's kind of my point, Colin. There aren't any. Yeah. So, so Facebook groups is limited, and 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 more importantly, you know, not just the challenges of being on Facebook. There, there are really sort of three limitations of Facebook groups. So number one is that it's Facebook is a distraction engine. That is, that is their business model. So the way that somebody experiences a Facebook group is in their newsfeed, interspersed and inter, uh, interweaved with uh, everything else going on on Facebook. So Facebook does not care about whether you could use a group to bring people together and build new relationships. 
that are mastering something interesting or important to the people in that group. That is not the point of Facebook groups. The point of Facebook groups is to have something else in your, your newsfeed that is in and around everything else happening. And so what we know about Facebook is that Facebook and the algorithm is completely out of the creator's control, but more importantly is really about heightening emotion. Um, so imagine one of the examples, um, you know, of, of, a, of a community that moved over to Mighty Networks is something called Find What Feels Good Kula. And it's, a, it's the community for a yoga instructor on YouTube. Uh, her channel is Yoga with Adrian. And what they were finding in their 25,000 person Facebook group was that people were actually starting political debates in a yoga community. Why? Well, when your entire experience is outrage, 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 you know, photos of your friend's kids, outrage, 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 when you see a post for your yoga community, you're still actually probably going to take that same energy, that same, you know, as, as, as Sarah Bowman, who, who runs the community called it, people were coming in hot. They were coming in hot, they were coming in angry. So when they were able to create the community on Mighty Networks, which is away from the noise, away from Facebook, it's just about the culture that they're creating, um, they, they, for the same question, they would see totally different answers. So fast forward, they shut down the Facebook group, they have a Mighty Network, it's now nearly 150,000 members. Um, and it's just a very, very different experience and a different culture that's been created. Second thing is, as a creator, um, when you have a Facebook group, you have no control and no visibility into when and how your members see anything that you post. So, you know, there is no, it, it's kind of, when people, when I say this to people, they're like, wait, what? Like, that's not true. It's like, it's absolutely true. Like, if you run a Facebook group, you have no visibility into when the algorithm will show people your post or not, which is very difficult to run a, you know, any kind of program or anything where you're trying to guide people to better results, better, you know, an, an actual transformation in their life. So, and then the third thing is that it's not, you know, it's not yours. You have no access to email addresses. You have no access to like what's actually going on in the Facebook group. Uh, you can't brand it. You can't charge money for it. So you have to do all these things outside of your Facebook group to use a Facebook group for this specific use case of bringing people together to master something interesting or important to them around a topic that they care about. So, so Facebook groups, while, while certainly, you know, in the same way that, that in the olden days, no one was going to get fired for choosing IBM, um, you know, you, you're, you're willing to do all of this additional work at times just to be able to say, like, I'm not doing anything controversial. I'm not doing anything crazy. That's changing. Um, more and more people are actually relieved when they don't have to use a Facebook group because they're using Facebook less and less. So that's really kind of the, the challenges and risks of, um, of Facebook. Uh, and then in terms of other community platforms, you know, really over the last 10 years, uh, there's, there's kind of been two structural limitations. One is that most of the community platforms were built, you know, as forums um, or they like Ning had this issue where it was like, they're all webs, they're all web. So when you look at the fact that mobile is where a lot of the activity comes from, um, you know, one of the things that we did that was pretty unique at Mighty Networks is in our very early days, we started, you know, this is a mobile first platform, uh, which has been very different uh, and, and, and pretty unique. And then the other issue has been that because it just seemed like Facebook was inevitable and, you know, everybody would want to be on Facebook groups, you know, community platforms uh, couldn't get funded. Um, we were unique given, you know, given my background at Ning and, and the, the track record that we had. So there, there are not a lot of other sophisticated, you know, community platforms that have courses and memberships and events all in one place, all under your brand and instantly available on the web and native mobile apps because, you know, it, you know, people were like, well, Facebook will just do it. And, and that, certainly was not the case. Could you give uh, the audience a little bit of uh, a sense of the number of customers 
and the number of users that you've now got on the platform? Yeah, so we, I mean, we have nearly 400,000 unique and different communities running across Mighty Networks, and that's how we sort of think about it. Um, and therefore, primarily uh, networks or, or communities in career. So people, again, mastering something interesting or important to them, how they make a living, how they progress in their careers, pretty, pretty clear that you would want to have a community of other people, not, not a, a, a transactional kind of like profile-based experience like LinkedIn, but really like, how do we get better at what we do? How do we define success for what we do and how we do it? So career, health, and wellness. Um, so a lot of networks that are thriving on Mighty are around, um, around health topics, around wellness topics, around spirituality topics. There is a hunger for people to be able to have a community mastering a topic related to, you know, psychology and spirituality and, you know, how we, how we live to our, how we define our values and how we live to them uh, across, uh, across the things that are most important to us. And then lastly, it's sort of a bucket of other important interests where, you know, there is sort of a strong learning or education component to it, whether that's parenting or whether that's personal finance or, you know, retirement, all of those are successful kinds of networks on Mighty Networks today. And so you can see across, you know, career, health and wellness and, uh, and other important interests. It's really anytime you can bring people together led by, you know, a, a creator led by a host, as we call them, uh, that's mastering a topic together that there, there are results that members are there to get and are there to support, encourage, and learn from each other in that pursuit uh, of different results and transformation in their lives. That to me is the future of, of communities. Uh, mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, it's, it's not, you know, nobody needs another place to go and like chit chat. Like we got that with our friends on iMessage, we have that with WhatsApp. We have that in, in all of these places where it's really about like, I actually want to do something different six months from now. I want different outcomes than the ones that I'm able to get today. Um, that's really where we're seeing people coming together. And it's really around, you know, essentially meeting and building relationships uh, with the people that you should know, that you want to know, as opposed to the people that you already know. Yeah, that's when, when you started, though, I just want to go, but I mean, there's so many questions that we've just said they're open up and we've got a whole heap coming in as well. Um, did you ever doubt it would be successful? I mean, in those early days when you kicked it off, what, what was that pivotal moment where you thought we're onto something here? So, you know, we, we've certainly had a, a journey that's been characterized by wilderness years, for sure, where we're like, I think this is going to work, but... I don't know, like doesn't seem to be working right now. Uh, but here's the thing I, you know, I had going into Mighty Networks and have today is I had already had a successful platform with this customer, you know, serving these creators, serving whether it's individuals or, you know, digital small businesses or larger brands that wanted to bring people together to master something interesting or important to them. So I always had a, a pretty strong belief um, in that the, the world bends towards, you know, just, you know, distributed communities or distributed websites as opposed to the sort of central winner takes all, there's only one place to go that has a very narrow and fixed view of what people can do. That tends to be how things get started. It tends to be how things get, get scale, and we've seen that, but it's not the ultimate end state because for the most part, it's boring, it's limited. And people's creativity and people's desire to you know, create their own cultures, create their own norms, um, have their own brands, have their own experiences, do something different than that central, you know, one size fits all experience, you know, that is really powerful. 
And so we always, you know, believe that that would be the ultimate end state, even if it took a while to get there. And I think we're seeing that, you know, that bend towards, you know, people now having the ability to break off, having built audiences on social media spin out into their own, their own place, their own community, their own destination. Uh, and it, you know, it's interesting. I, I always think about it. It's, it's not more work. It's just different work. Um, and when you set it up, it can be self-organizing in some really powerful ways. Have we seen that typical Silicon Valley uh, growth exponential curve where the first year or two, it was slow and linear, but still going up exponentially, one client, two clients, four clients, and the last couple of years, or was it a very different type of uh, growth strategy? And, and I suppose linked to that is how much have you had to actively market to go and bring people to become aware and actually start using the platform? Yeah. So, you know, we, we have a fundamental flywheel effect. So people come in and create a mighty network. They invite a bunch of people in percentage of those people are like, Hey, I could use this for this other thing and become creators themselves. And, and so the flywheel goes, you know, around and around. And we've seen growth um, through that direct flywheel over the last, you know, we really, we, we, we pivoted to really focus on this creator and digital small business owner in 2017. So we've seen that loop. What, what we've done recently is um, turned on more, you know, paid search ads that seem to be working really well for us. And it's people searching for website builder and people searching for online courses. Uh, they find many networks and they're like, wow, I can have my website and a community and bring people back. And when I'm ready to uh, experiment or launch, you know, courses, or I can do paid memberships, I can have a freemium model. And when they see all of these things and the fact that they can have it both on the web and native mobile apps, um, you know, that are the ones that show up in the app stores, that's really where light bulbs start to go off for people. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can do so much more here. I can engage so much more heavily here. Uh, and, and we're seeing members love it as, as much as, as our hosts or creators do. Yeah, I love that flywheel effect. I mean, I came across Mighty Networks um, originally, actually, as part of the Abundance uh, community. Oh, yeah. With yeah, yeah. And it took a wee while to work out what the platform was hosted on because um, they've taken away the branding from Mighty Networks. But once I worked it out, then what happened for that flywheel is a lot of the people on the call today, it's, this call is hosted by OCO, part of VOH. Um, one of the work streams there was to look at something to start bringing more community together within EOH and Mighty Networks names. Uh, popped up. They've now been using that for about 12 months or so. And, they, and so, Thank by you. the way, and, and that means that we might get quite a lot of questions from the guys uh, right. from EOH. But, but as far as I'm aware, this is the first example of a listed corporate using Mighty Networks um, internally as opposed to other corporates. Is that not the case? No, we have some other corporates using it as well. So let's go into that corporate side of things because sure. um, where you see, you know, community platforms, because again, that feels like a space that there's really a gaping demand for platforms to encourage, you know, collaboration and communities and sharing, knowledge sharing, and really trying to build people up, help each other out. Yeah. And the, the existing platforms, you know, again, what have you got? Workspace. Um, and then you start tapering off. You end up with lots of platforms which are about productivity and chat channels. So Slack or uh, project management, with Trello, Microsoft Teams, and so on. And it still feels like a gap. Do you see Mighty Networks starting to develop further to go and try to support that corporate space as well? Or is this an area which is actually a bit more tricky? It's not quite the same as, yeah. as one of the uh, yoga so, so we've actually, you know, we, we had a number of years actually where, you know, we were working with corporates. Um, and, and the reason that we shifted and to, to really um, focus in on creators and digital small business owners was actually not because corporates are, you know, the wrong use case or anything like that. It's just when you have thousands of customers, you know, paying customers, you're going to learn faster as a platform and ultimately deliver a better solution to corporates who are, who move much more slowly and don't necessarily give great feedback. So it's just a matter of timing and sequencing. But, but here's what I would say about the corporate opportunity. You know, um, I, I think that 
communities and, and the concept of communities, whether it's internal or external, got kind of bastardized on some level with corporates. And specifically for the first kind of era, you know, there was all this talk about, you know, it's, you know, the social connections with your customers and, you know, how you're going to, um, how you're going to, uh, you know, create a two-way conversation. And what it, what it kind of turned into was, um, hey, imagine you could get support done for free by, by essentially not paying your customers to do support for other customers. And so that's really where, you know, whether it was Jive or Lithium were sort of the two big or kind of still are, but not really like the two big enterprise social platforms. Uh, or it was all about social media and social media listening and, um, and you know, content management and all, all of that. It all like so, so corporates, in, in, in my experience, never kind of took a step back and said, you know what? We we need to have our own network. We need to have our own network effect and not just for our current customers and not just for support, but we actually have an opportunity to own our market. And if we actually own our market and build our own network effect, meaning we can create a network that is about them, not us, that is about how we are establishing a way for our customers to master something interesting or important to them, like their job uh, and how they build their career. We could actually be an ingredient and a partner for them such that uh, not only if they're cut, that being a customer is better, but but also if you're even if you're not a customer, we are going to stand with this particular profession, who, by the way, is probably our customer. Um, and so what happens, though, in companies is, you know, traditional or much more conventional thinkers, whether that's on the marketing side or, you know, people that have grown up doing things the way it's, it's been done forever, they'll come in and be like, well, if people aren't talking about us, then, you know, why would we be paying for this? You know, or, well, Facebook has, you know, you know they, they, they know how to do something we don't know how to do, which is, is simply not true. Uh, these are strategic questions to say, hey, our customer is a small business owner or our customer is an IT professional. They wake up every day thinking about, you know, like, how do I do my job better? How do I take on more responsibility? How do I make better, more well-informed decisions about you know, what I do and what I bring to my company? How, how could I actually have a network of other IT professionals um, that allow me to look great with my leadership team? This is an opportunity for any brand. And the biggest shift that just has to be made is, is, a, is a decision maker and a leader who understands that they are playing the long game and that having a network effect of IT professionals has so many benefits. I'm making it has so many benefits, meaning if you become the dominant and again, outside of your company, like, so it's not about your brand. It's about your customer. The person who owns, you know, the entity that owns IT professionals in a network that, that feels like it's, it's semi-independent. What, what I think is so short-sighted of so many companies is that like once they have that, they can keep all their competition out. But the minute that it becomes about hammering, you know, people buying your product, then, then that, and, and there's always a marketer, there's always somebody in the company, whether it's in sales, marketing, or support that wants to come in and do that. And that's, that I think is the opportunity for, for corporations as it relates to being um, uh, thinking about how the media landscape is evolving over the next, you know, five years. And actually, you know, five years in many cases have become five months. But the, but the, the uh, really smart marketer today is thinking about how do they bring their market together? not their customers, their market together. So that prospective customers and existing customers are able to come together to master a topic that is important to them, that is, that is related to, uh, but bigger than any specific products or service that they sell. What is your advice, again, for corporates? Um, 
one thing that you can't do is just simply drop down a social platform into your company and expect people to go running and using it. They might, but it's so, going to be fairly yeah, effective. So, so there's a, to go through? Yeah, so there's, there's really three things you need. Um, so number one, you've got to have a big purpose. That's the motivation for the community. So, you know, a place to talk about our company is not interesting to people. A place to successfully and effectively network so that we are all getting better, that we are like, and, and the problem with corporate is like, that, you know, it's it, so much of corporate it, it, uh, culture has been about trying to, to uh, eliminate humanity from how we talk, how we interact, how we, you know, show up. And communities are powerful and people and learning is powerful when it's not devoid of humanity. So, so number one, you, you got to have a big purpose that's about the people, not about, you know, your sterile and boring corporate culture. And, and recognize and appreciate that people are going to, um, uh, you know, be human. And, and, you know, there are ways to create a, a human culture. Uh, and, and it's in a big purpose, it's always about like, what is the goal? What are you going to do together? I, you know, I actually think this is, this is one of, um, one of Facebook's challenges today is, you know, for them, it's just about connecting the world without a purpose. And so not only do you have the weaponization of that and misinformation and all sorts of just really bad things, cause you don't care what people are connecting around, uh, just as long as they connect, they actually have that problem internally today. So now it's, they, they have an internal version of Facebook where people are, are spending all of their time just debating these, you know, debating issues. And it's like, well, wait a second. If maybe, maybe in whatever you do, uh, making sure you have a big purpose, what, what is the point of this? What are we going to master together? That you add an element of learning to it because that allows you, you know, corporations want to have control. That's the other fear. You know, it's like, well, what if we bring people together and they, and they like are negative on our product or negative on our company? Well, the best way to, uh, to navigate that is to make sure that there is a purpose to it, that you are, you are, you are bringing people together around their aspirations and their goals, not just bringing people together to bring people together. So once you have a big purpose, then the second piece to it and the, the big purpose needs to essentially say, who is this for? So the, the sentence is very simple. We bring together and who you bring together to very specifically, what are you going to do here together? And that also helps with, we're not just here to like bitch about the company. We're not just here to talk about things that are, are outside the scope of making better, more well-informed decisions about what we do and how we do it. Uh, so that we can, and what are the specific benefits to people to make better, more well-informed decisions about our career, take on more responsibility in ways that are invigorating and energizing as opposed to draining and stressful, and to be able to, to have our horizons and our, our, our creativity and all the things we want to do expanded because in a network of people sharing stories and experiences and ideas, we're able to connect more dots and more data points and more inspiring creative ideas in more ways and essentially create a scene, you know, which, which is, is what you know, has created and enabled all sorts of innovation over the years. So once you kind of have that big purpose, then it's, it's really simple. And here's how we interact with each other. Here is what we do, and here's what we don't do. So, for example, take your debates about politics somewhere else. Like, God bless. Go over to Facebook. That's not for us here together mastering, you know, how we bring our big purpose to the world. If you want to reach out to people, here's a great way to do it. Because again, if, if somebody shows up in a community and, the, and, and calling your example of like dropping people, you know, down into something is it's like showing up at, a, at an event and not knowing what's, what's appropriate to do. Like, you know, you're supposed to network at a, at a conference, for example, but like, how do you do that 
Like if you show up with your friend, you're going to, you're, you just paid like 500 bucks to go to a conference for the day. And you talk to your friend the whole time. You could have done that without going to the conference, you know, or you're there by yourself and you like want to meet people and you don't know how to meet people. It's like, if you sit down at a table, like, are those going to be the people you want to meet? You know? So, so if you think about that in an online context, it's like, well, am I going to look like a spammer if I post this? Is this the right thing to kind of post here? Um, how do I reach out to somebody? Like, Nobody wants to give, like, if you, if you leave all of those things open for interpretation, nobody wants to like try to figure that out. So if you give people specifics, like here's what we do on Tuesdays or on Thursdays, we have office hours. And this is a great way for us to have a live event with, you know, other people that's not a meeting. It is designed to, you know, help us workshop a specific challenge or a specific goal in a confidential environment. Uh, and, and you show up and you know what you're supposed to do. So that's really where kind of, whether it's a creator or whether it's a you know mentor, like whatever it is, you wanna have somebody and some structure so that people don't feel like they're showing up and, and they're not too busy, especially if the big purpose is, is really clear as to what it is and, and why it matters. People are excited, they'll join. Where, the, where engagement falls off a cliff is if they don't know how to engage and there's no consistency and there's no opportunity like you got to have a host ask the question or or like hey this is this week's challenge so what i want you to do is is answer these three questions and post them in the community do you agree to do that why would you do that because you're actually going to have the benefits that we just talked about in our big purpose mm. so it's definitely something which needs structure it needs to be managed it needs a calendar um, it needs people to be yeah, taken but none of the like to be clear, Colin. None of those things are hard. And once you set them up, you need about thirty days to set the habit. And then once you have that, you can roll. But I think the opening point was where I was going to get to that at power of purpose. I can never resist doing a call uh, without always talking about purpose. You mentioned it for communities. How important has it been for all of your business ventures? I mean, it's essential, especially for, for, you know, startups, it, you know, it, this notion that, that it's not always like, even if my hours aren't banking hours where I was working, you know, a hundred hours a week, running a startup and creating, you know, is essentially creating something out of nothing. Um, and when you do that, it is all consuming. So if you don't, you know, if I don't wake up in the morning thinking to myself, um, this is important because we are unlocking people's ability to master something interesting or important to them in a community that, you know, does not exist anywhere else. And we want to unlock the power of these creators, these mentors, these people who can bring people together to master something interesting or important to them. Um, and the world needs it. The world needs it now more than ever. Why? Because communities are the single best way to navigate rapid change. Mm. It's why like, like we all are, our ancestors ran around in tribes, like, because you could actually get a lot more done in an environment no one had been in before. And that, that collaboration and that, that creation and co-creation was essential to survival. And I would argue the same thing is true today. So if, if you don't have a community to figure out what is the new playbook, you know, in, in we, are, we are all operating in uncharted waters. And if we think that like the world is going back to where it was even in January, we're kidding ourselves. We're not mm -hmm. going back. We're going to evolve from here. And well, there are things- No, carry on, sorry, Gina. No, I was just gonna say they're, they're you know, so the best way to figure out what is the new normal is in community and especially community that has a purpose. Like what's the new normal for startup entrepreneurs? What's the new normal for IT professionals? What's the new normal for, you know, a parent of school age kids? Like all of those things are up in the air today. And the single best way to start to put together new solutions, seize opportunities, but also navigate challenges is, is to bring a group of people together to say, all right, um, we're in uncharted territory here. What and how do we want to start to break down what's happening, where we're going from here, and also build our own resilience, creativity, energy, uh, enthusiasm, passion 
for where we are and where the world is going, um, we've got some big challenges to tackle. And I believe that communities that have a purpose to them are the single most effective way to start to navigate um, challenges. I mean, we're not going to solve- the What's the future of communities? This comes in from Diego, Diego Soroa. I mean, what, what do you see as being the future for these online communities? This, you know, you look at the technologies that are coming, you know, with VR, uh, AR, 5G, and so on. Do you see big transformations in utilization? And, and where, you, where do you think this is all going? Yeah, so, so I was gonna say, um, I think we're, we're going to have more focused communities. I don't think it's about the technology. I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, VR is going to fundamentally change communities. I think video does make a huge difference. Um, and we're seeing that right now. Um, I think it's also going to be a lot of the technology is not going to be so much about like machine learning and AI today. The first, there's a whole bunch of basic stuff just in terms of like, how do we present ourselves online? How do we surface what matters? And in a community that is built around a specific topic or a specific outcome or goal, um, you're gonna ask different questions. You're gonna wanna know different things about people than what they have on their LinkedIn profile or their Facebook profile. But I think this, the, the reality of the world that we live in right now is that we have some totally uncharted territory that we are in today. And it's not just a global pandemic and it's not just climate change, it's everything. And the impact of these things and the idea that we are going to solve them by debating politics in three second intervals that are just, you know, distracting and uh, are all about heightening our emotion and sense of what divides us, not the, the things that bring us together. Um, I think that that has to fundamentally change and I think it will. So I think people understand that it is a much more valuable and meaningful experience to come together with people that have a common purpose, that mm. you know have clear results that they want, that are ambitious, that you know, are focused on, you know, what do we do with this new world that we are living in? And I think, you know, this new world happened faster than, than any of us would like to admit. Um, and yet, I mean, it's, it's nearly 8 a.m. here in the Bay Area, and it's not light out. It has been dark for two days. And it is because of the wildfires that we have had that were, were not started by any human they were started by a freak weather event. If we think that freak weather events are going to, to stop, I mean, we're kidding ourselves. So I believe that, you know, anybody that gets too caught up in the, in the, in the, the technology as opposed to the people and, and how do we connect people and new people for making better, more well-informed decisions for, you know, again, um, pioneering and exploring this uncharted world that we live in, that to me is really where, where the most interesting things are happening today and will continue to happen. Yeah, thanks for that. And Jenny, I like this question as well. You kind of started on it, but we'll re-ask it. You started on this one at this, the start of the call. You've laid out the argument about why people might be navigating over to Mighty Networks from Facebook. Are you seeing lots of examples of big groups coming across into the Mighty Networks environment? And, and then if you are, what, what was their rationale for actually doing so? Yeah, so I think I gave, gave those. Control, you know, ability to focus and create your own culture. Um, all of those three things are, are, are super important to people. I do want to make the point though, that it's not just about big groups. You know, we, we have this sense that communities are about quantity, not quality. I think some of the most interesting communities today have 10 people. It's, it's, it's 10 people with a purpose is so much more profoundly important than a hundred thousand people without a purpose. And I think you can see that in, in, you know, throughout history. Um, and certainly I think it's happening today. So I think, I, I feel like we've talked about Facebook, like 
in ways that are at this point boring because we all like, I don't think anybody's sitting there today saying to themselves, you know, Facebook is a net positive in my life because I'm able to have really thoughtful political conversations or, you know, move forward ideas that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. I don't think that that is a particularly controversial position at this point. I'm, I'm much more interested in, you know, how and where do we help people that are getting a community up and, and off the ground for the first time. And I think that the big thing is you can get something started and create something super special with 10 people, as long as your big purpose is clear and they have a clear sense of what they're going to do together. And the results anyway, a lot of the communities can get started. They're a, a bit like sort of startups, I suppose. Many of them will, you know, fail and, and die away. And then there'll be some ones that come on strongly and become, you know, massive. Yeah, I, chal I challenge that. You know, this notion of like, uh, yes, today there's a power law curve, meaning there's, you know, there, there's a, a handful. I, I actually think the software is going to get, I mean, certainly the software we're building and we're committed to is going, it is designed fundamentally to make more of those 10 people communities successful because 10 people communities become 100 person communities. And if you have a hundred people, you potentially have a thousand people. And if you have a thousand people, you potentially have 10,000 people. If the big purpose is, is powerful enough and people are getting the results and transformation that they want in their lives, then, then, you know, this notion of like, well, some work, some don't. It's, it's about understanding why something doesn't work. And it tends to not work. If you think you're just going to drop everybody in, you might have a great big purpose, but if you think you're going to just drop everybody in and they're going to figure it out, we're not quite there yet on the software. I think we'll get there, but I think it's a year or two away. So then, you know, if you don't have a big purpose and you're like, we should have a community and it's for something that people don't care about, like talking about your product uh, versus how the, your product enables them to be the very best professional or, you know, anything that they want to do. Um, and, and I think that the next generation of marketers are, are going to understand that. Uh, and it won't just be about like, we built a community by the number of followers that we have on Instagram. Um, because it's not just about, I talk out at you, you talk back at me. It's about how am I creating a network that is going out into the world and making better, more well-informed decisions have a, about the things that are most important to them, have a much clearer sense of, you know, the impact and possibilities that they can have. And how did our community, how did our network connect those people to each other to keep them engaged over the long term, to keep them moving forward in terms of the solutions that they want to have in their own lives? And how does our product then fit into that world? This is a great question. Again, um, I like this one. I can't, I can't resist, especially when you think about what you said about Facebook earlier. Do you exercise any kind of editorial control over the types of groups and communities that are being set up? That's a lovely question. Yeah. So we have a, a, a terms of service and acceptable use policy um, that, you know, we certainly reinforce and, and, and enforce, I should say, enforce and reinforce. Uh, so from our perspective, you know, as things get reported that are inappropriate, we, we look at them to see if they violate our acceptable use policy, we'll shut them down. That's, it's really not that controversial. It never should have been controversial. Uh, so, yeah. When, look at, uh, it's a question that's always fascinated me. When I look at uh, leaders that are active on social media, um, we can use Elon Musk as, a, as probably one of the most well-known examples, the power and the influence, the support they get, whether it's internally with their teams or, or externally. What, what advice have you got for leaders? Because a lot of them find it really difficult to engage on social community platforms. Yeah, I, I mean, social community, they're two fundamentally different things. You know, social media is about your ego and, and, and a desire to have people following you. It's, it's, it's in the name. You have followers. A community is about members that are on a journey to master something interesting or important to them. Elon Musk does not care about his followers mastering something interesting or important to them. That's not the point of Elon Musk's social media presence. It is, it is to, to communicate and influence an army of people to do things that are either positive or negative, but for a lot of, a lot of times negative. 
Uh, that's just pure power. Uh, there's a role for it. I, I don't think it's nearly as interesting or as sustainable as uh or or as constructive as a community that it you know that that as a leader i am guiding people to better results and transformation in their lives that it's about them not about me um and i just believe that that's a different kind of leadership and one that's going to ultimately have much more effective results and create a lot more loyalty and um it's less about sycophants and more about um, moving people and moving, you know, moving our world forward. That's not to say that like, you know, electric cars aren't cool, uh, or going to space isn't important, but it, you know, I think this notion, it's also much harder to do, uh, especially if you are, um, again, in a corporate culture where personality is viewed as controversial and therefore negative. It's very difficult. This might make it a bit of a blocker for a lot of leaders anyway, because I think you've nailed it. Going into a community platform is very much about not worrying about their title and their leadership role to go into, you know, a, a community to learn off each other. And that really does require to you to, to take your status away from yourself and for everyone that goes into that to be somewhat equal. I can imagine that must be challenging. For yes and people. no. I, I mean, I, I, I run our community design masterclass and community and, and, I'm in charge, like I will shut things down. I have no problem with that. Here's what I would say though, is it's, it's a much more comfortable aspect of leadership because it's very similar to running a team. Uh, it's very similar to, much more so than I would say social media is. Uh, and, and it's more human. Um, so I, I think it's easier, not harder. I'm much more comfortable in you know our community than I am you know, on Twitter. Tina, we've spoke for just over 50 minutes and I can say just from that conversation and us not having spoken before, you are, you are rare. I'm not hundred percent sure a lot of the other people out there in senior <laughs> leadership positions are going to think the same way that you do. Let me bring in uh, Raksha. Raksha is going to help close us out. While I bring her in and she starts a video though, what's the future for Mighty Networks and for yourself? You've sold your last couple of companies, but you seem passionate about this one. Are you going to be around for a while and what are you hoping to take it to? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I look at I look at selling Ning or selling Harmonic. I mean, those were good outcomes. They they did not have the impact that I believe we will have with Mighty Networks, um, especially over you know the next five years. So you know, I I am more excited. I, I think this whole notion that like you know, you only do something for a few years is is. I mean, I've had the same mission and the same passion for 15 years at this point, and I don't really see it going away. Um, in fact, if anything, I think it's getting more you know urgent. So we've got a lot of great stuff coming. Um, but you know, we're tripling in size this year. So if if we continue to do that, um, we will um, we will we will have a much bigger impact than we do today. Gina, I've loved every moment of that. Let me hand over to Raksha. Gina, that was absolutely fascinating. It was so interesting listening to you. I take care of marketing for the IOCO group and we have our little WhatsApp group also going on the side and everyone is very excited. There were lots of questions and we think that you should visit us in South Africa soon. Um, <laughs> Someday the, in South Africa lets Californians leave their house. <laughs> yes, when that happens, when that happens. Um, and also uh, our head of VP, Rosemary Stubb said, so refreshing to hear a woman talking about Silicon Valley, VC, tech, and this, this dream journey. So really inspiring. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank you so much for, the time, for your time and, and making the time to speak to us so early in the morning. Colin, well done and thank you as usual. And to the marketing team uh, for helping us put this together. And you know, these, these sessions are in a small way, our, our attempt at bringing our community together to yeah. talk about things that are inspiring, meaningful beyond our services and offerings and giving them access to great minds uh, and entrepreneurs like, like yourself and some of the other amazing speakers that we've had. One of them who's actually joined us today, Anton Musgrave, who's on, on the call. So thanks for, for joining us. Um, thanks again. And also to some of our clients, a little shout out to Mediclinic, Old Mutual, TCD, Mixed Telematics, Norsad, Finance, Avis Budget, Future World, uh, and Love Life, just to name a few. Um, so thank you. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Uh, Have a great day. 
Whoa, 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 one thing. You forgot one thing. What's happening next week? Oh, we have a new... No, our, our new events release. <laughs> I, I have to go, but you guys can talk about it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Gina. For everyone else, uh, next Wednesday is the uh, one for next week. It's Andrew Baker, uh, head of technology at Absurd, Absurd Group Africa. Incredible guy, if you don't know him knowledge base extraordinaire on everything tech. We're gonna to try to get him to talk about some of the exciting things we can expect in technology over the next five years without bamboozling you lot, or actually just bamboozling me to be honest, because he confuses me, he's that good. No, that didn't come out right. He confuses me, he's exceptional, he's gonna confuse everyone. And he's also gonna talk about more importantly how he's made the cultural shift towards agile and to bring in a team of people that are a lot more open and interested in how to go and advance technology. So sorry, we've run just slightly over the hour. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Ioko. Have an awesome day, an awesome week, and we'll chat to you next Wednesday. Right. Bye-bye. <laughs>